It's time for Cadillac on Call on News Radio 610 KOMA. It's your chance to learn valuable health information right here in our community. Now, the host of Cadillac on Call, here's Jim Hall. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Cadillac on Call, presented by the Cadillac Foundation. For more than 80 straight weeks, 80 straight weeks, we have made COVID the centerpiece of this program as we try to give you, our listeners, the most up-to-date and objective information regarding the, the state of the pandemic. As we take the air today, COVID is striking like it's not done before. The Omicron variant has exploded here and across the country. While there are indications it is not as severe as last year's Delta surge, it is highly contagious, and that is what's causing yet another strain on our healthcare system. Today, we'll check in with the top communicable disease nurse with the Benton Franklin Health District and also connect with an infectious disease physician at Cadillac. But first, we want to get the latest on the context, the latest context on COVID's impact at Cadillac, and we welcome to our program Reza Khalil, Cadillac's chief executive. Reza, first of all, thanks for taking the time this evening. Why don't we begin with just an overall perspective from your viewpoint relative to Cadillac and the community and COVID? Hey, Jim. Uh, thanks. Good to be with you this evening. Yeah, I, I think no secret uh, we're in another one of these major surges. It, it is um, different in a variety of ways. Uh, I think maybe um, most important, aside from the, the data that you'll hear uh, looking at COVID of a little bit different complexion with Omicron and the types of folks being hospitalized and efficacy of vaccines and so forth. I think from my perspective is just that it's been so many rounds of this um, with our staff. And I think because of the infectiousness now of Omicron, we have uh, many more staff members out uh, isolating as appropriate and so forth. So our, our access to uh, resources and ability to continue to um, I think just be as resilient as we'd like to be, as tired as everyone is at this point, is, is uh, a little diminished. So I think that that's probably uh, the biggest difference here. And then, you know, our, our central concern at the moment is uh, trying to balance uh, two major things. One is the community's need for access to our services and to care as part of this surge with our, our ability to provide that access uh, in not only the, the volume that we need, but with the level of quality and care with folks needing to be stretched uh, in order to do that. And again, these folks are very tired and, and some different types of, of um, shortages now. It's not no longer PPE, but now we're looking at significant uh, supply chain shortages with everything that's going on uh, with the broader economy. We've had some things due to weather and the passes uh, and then some shortages with uh, not only testing, which you'll hear about, I think, from the, our health district colleagues a little bit, but um, some significant shortages with blood supplies and some other things. So a, a whole host of different challenges we're trying to balance across those two things of uh, providing enough access uh, for our community uh, while continuing to be mindful of our caregivers and how much more they can be stretched. You you mentioned that word access, and really, I remember when at the height of the Delta surge, it was really kind of a similar situation, but for different reasons. Is that not right? Where where there's a bottleneck not only for hospitals the size of Cadillac, but it goes on down the down the line to the smaller hospitals that normally would serve into Cadillac, and then the larger systems that that uh, sometimes Cadillac needs to utilize as well. So it's is that kind of the same type of situation when you're referring to access. Yeah, it's a domino effect across the whole state. So I think the west side of the state, again, you'll hear more on the program, I think, from others 
uh, is in the uh, probably the highest point of their surge right now, we hope, peaking and, and maybe start to come down. We're still a little bit early on there, but I think the ability for us to transfer uh, patients out that are needing higher level of care than we can provide, which occasionally happens, is diminished. And then certainly our ability to accept patients from those rural hospitals needing, uh, needing us as a higher level of care because of the uh, number of beds that we can just keep available due to staffing and other limitations is, um, has been severely hampered as, as we've seen the numbers spike up again. I know you've been in regular communication with health leaders from around the state and around the Northwest. What is the collective mindset of this group? You know, the, the, it's, a really, um, it's a really nice group uh, through the Washington uh, State Hospital Association and through other, other ways we stay connected uh, in terms of trying to support one another as much as possible across the state. The, the general mindset is to really try to avoid any particular part of the state or any organization having to get to um, any kind of extreme uh, level of, of distress uh, by accepting what we can, all of us trying to stretch as much as we can again, safely to create um, to create access and, and um, try to uh, move some of the gridlock we're seeing. So it's a, it's a very collaborative spirit, and I think everybody can relate to what everyone is going through. Uh, a little bit different at the tertiary care centers than in some of the rural care uh, centers, just the types of, of issues, but everybody's dealing with it in one way, shape, or form. And our listeners may or may not be aware, but Catholic is part of the Providence Health System, which is a a large nonprofit system in the Western United States. And I know throughout the pandemic, uh, Catholic, it, it, I know it's been beneficial in, in a variety of ways for your team and your your leaders and, and caregivers to, to help get through that. But maybe a brief explanation of how does being part of an organization like Providence help that team navigate its way through these seemingly contagious, sur- uh, continuous surges? Yeah, it's a, it's a whole host of things, um, Jim. I think the clinical community that our uh, physicians and other providers and, and members of the team get to be part of where, you know, we see, for example, right now, um, leading indicators in the data on the west side of the state. We have complete unfettered access to information about what's going on with those patient populations that we can use to predict what's coming here and help to, to manage those kinds of things. So access to, to information and, and colleagues that folks can talk to, uh, resources when we do get into a bind, being able to, uh, even even in situations like now where the whole state may be uh, tight on testing resources or other things, we can work within um, that Providence framework to, to move resources where the greatest need is as things shift uh, across the state. And then, you know, I'd say another thing worth highlighting is just as tight as things are, having those relationships where we can work collaboratively to, to get patients where they need to be um, across and anywhere in the state. I think, as I mentioned, it's kind of a collaborative tone everywhere, but having those linkages within the same system are certainly helpful. I know when, this, when the, the, the pandemic was first evolving back in March of 2020, which seems like decades ago, there was uh, at one point, in fact, it was state mandated uh, when hospitals were required to limit what are called their elective or non-urgent surgeries. What is Cadillac doing at this point to, to, I guess, preserve people, all the resources, but at the same time make sure all of the, all of the necessary procedures or as many of them can be done? Yeah, we're, we're proactively doing that uh, on a very selective basis, as, as we talked about then, and I'll, I'll repeat again. This term elective uh, procedures gets, gets uh, thrown out there often, and it's really 
uh, looking at cases that are non-urgent. It doesn't mean they're important or in many cases uh, elective. They're things that, that need to be done in most cases uh, but may not have to be done immediately uh, and trying to just kind of um, put those off, delay those so that we can have enough of those beds that people might be needing post-surgery uh, if we chose to do those surgeries available to meet the, the stretch demands that we have right now. So it's a, it's a very... Um, frustrating situation to be in because we know for people that are impacted by that, it is uh, delaying their care, but it, it's that trade-off of trying to provide um, enough access back to that point from earlier for the emergent needs uh, while keeping everybody um, safe. So there is some of that going on right now. We are trying to avoid a situation where the state comes in and mandates a more, um, you know, across-the-board approach. Um, so I, I think us being proactive and looking at that on a daily basis, it gets looked at for the following day. Uh, to see what our capacity looks like and where we might need to do things to to adjust as needed. Just two more quick questions. How can listeners to this program, in other words, members of the community, help? Uh, a couple things I, I would highlight. Uh, one is, you know, help us keep the resources that we have available in this in this current surge and limited capacity available for the people who really need them. So one thing, uh, we're challenged with testing resources. Uh, please don't come to our emergency department uh, simply looking for for testing. Number one, we're no longer providing uh, tests given the, the shortage uh, for folks that are outpatient in our ED. Uh, we're reserving those for patients that require admission. But, you know, look, look to other sources, uh, your doctor or to some of the the uh, others, there's uh, the health district will share some things, I'm sure, uh, in terms of a website and some other things with local resources to try to get access to those so that we can reserve uh, the emergency department for folks to, that, that need to be there. And by all means, if you do have a, a care need that um, requires that uh, show up. And then a second, I would say just going back to what we've been talking about all along, try to protect yourself and your family and stay well. Uh, unfortunately, the vaccines even don't seem to be providing as much protection uh with this Omicron variant. So whether you've had COVID or are vaccinated, you're still at some risk for catching this. Uh, the good news is that Omicron seems to be uh, less severe in most of what, what we're seeing, uh, at least in the hospitalized patients uh, that we've had experience with. And then I think in the data that you'll hear about uh, from the others on the show, but still uh, the risk that you could catch it and pass it on to someone who might be more vulnerable than you, who will then require um, significant um, help is, is still there. So everything you can do to protect yourself, your family, and those that you uh, associate with. Reza Khalil, the chief executive at Catholic, thanks so much for taking the time and pass along our best wishes to all of the team uh, continuously doing the job, uh, performing miraculous work uh, on an ongoing basis. Reza Khalil, the chief executive at Catholic, back with more of our program right after this. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to the program. Throughout the ebbs and flows of the pandemic, we've been able to bring you a variety of experts on the COVID-19 situation. And one of our regular guests has been Dr. Brian York, an infectious disease specialist with Cadillac. He's been of particular importance when we've had new strains of the virus appear, Alpha, Delta, and now Omicron. Thanks, Dr. York, for again answering our call tonight. Why don't you just begin by addressing these characteristics of Omicron? It's more a contagious, I understand, but the illness is less severe. 
especially for people who are uh, vaccinated and boosted? Uh, sure. And uh, thanks for having me on you again. Um, so, yeah, we're learning a lot more about Omicron with each passing week. I think it's been about two to three weeks since I was on. And uh, what we we know with a lot more surety, that it definitely spreads far more easily uh, than the original variant and, and far more easily than the Delta variant. Within uh, one month of first being detected in Washington state, uh, it is now 90% of all of the virus present in Washington state. So it's, it's, a, it's essentially displaced Delta, it's taken over. Uh, fortunately, it does appear to cause less severe illness. Uh, we've seen that in data that came out of um, South Africa, uh, Israel, and the UK, suggesting um, lower rates of severe illness. But you're always a little bit cautious about interpreting studies that are performed in other places with different, you know, populations, different baseline health in the the population, different levels of vaccination. Uh, but we have a study that just came out yesterday, uh, not yet peer reviewed, but it's available for review uh, that came out of Kaiser Permanente down in Southern California, a very big study looking at about 52,000 cases, um, about a third of which were Delta and the rest all being Omicron. And they were able to compare the rates of uh, all patients that were diagnosed in the outpatient setting and how, how likely they were to end up in the hospital, how likely they were to require mechanical ventilation, uh, and ultimately how many died from the infection. And so far, it looks like they're showing uh, about a 50% reduction in needing to be in the hospital uh, and nearly 90% reduction in needing ICU care and death. And so uh, that's good to see from a United States-based uh, study and really confirms what we're seeing from other countries. So we know it spreads really easily. Uh, we know that it, it appears that it's evading all of the things that we've done for the last you know year or more to, to try to control COVID. It's even in places where we see a lot of adherence with recommended mask use and social distancing and very high levels of vaccination. We're seeing, still seeing um, astronomical spikes in the number of cases and including uh, in seeing increases in the number of patients admitted to the hospital. And we can see examples of that here in Washington state with what's going on in King County. And we can also see, you know, what's happening in some other places like Southern California and Manhattan and Washington, D.C., where we know they have um, really high levels of vaccination. So unfortunately, it does look like vaccination isn't doing much to prevent this from being spreadable. It doesn't prevent people from getting uh, mild cases, but vaccination still does prevent uh, severe disease and death very effectively. So it's still recommended that people get vaccinated to protect themselves as individuals. And I know the the number of cases or the number of hospitalized patients is 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 going up. But I think, as you touched on, the positive nature, less of those cases are needing to be in the ICU. And in some instances, the people that are testing positive are there for other reasons. So they're not there with a principal COVID diagnosis. So I guess that's good news in some ways. And so um, (laughs) we just last week, we started getting a report included in our case count that we get every day of patients at the hospital. they're tracking on each day the patients admitted in the previous 24 hours, how many were admitted uh, because of the COVID and how many were admitted for something else that happened to test positive on admission. And so far, since we started really looking at that and including that in the report every day, uh, there have been 32 admissions. 14 of them were because of COVID and 18 were for other reasons. Uh, but they patient, the patient happened to test positive for COVID at the time of admission. And that's over the past four days. 
So we've seen our inpatient census of, of people who are positive for COVID increase from, you know, the teens to 20s for a long time. It kind of held steady at that level for several weeks, and now we're up around 40. Um, but a lot of those patients are admitted for something else. And because we're seeing so much COVID in the community, we're detecting a lot more COVID when people are admitted for other reasons. The other thing that's different, and this is also confirming some of the reports that came out of South Africa, uh, early on, the, the physicians in South Africa were saying, boy, we're, we're seeing all these patients in the hospital who are positive, but we're not seeing a lot of people who need oxygen. If we look back to um, just a few months ago when we were in the midst of our Delta surge, uh, there were times where we were using every high-flow oxygen device that the hospital had. We had a lot of patients on ventilators. We had a lot of patients on face mask oxygen or non-invasive ventilation, all these things that are done to help support respiration in people with severe illness. And we were constantly having to manage the supply of, of that resource. Well, uh, I've spoken to a lot of the hospitals who are taking care of the patients with COVID, and we certainly do have some folks that need oxygen, but if they do, it's usually brief. And a lot of the patients are uh, primarily, if, if COVID is the reason that they're in the hospital, it has more to do with, you know, folks being old and frail, elderly folks, and they just are so tired and fatigued that they are too weak to be independent at home, and they end up in the hospital and they need rehab, and we're having you know, it's, there's some backlog of getting these folks into rehab. And so it's a very different feel, even though the numbers have gone up. It's not the same kinds of issues. It's not primarily the respiratory issues, even with the patients who were admitted for COVID. So very different than what we were seeing a few months ago. I know the issue seems to be as positive as with, uh, you know, the the severity of it. It's just the contagiousness, because it obviously there's Catholic staff, and I know Risa touched on that the staffing is such a huge issue, and, and I'm sure it is all over the country. What are what can our listeners, the public, do to best protect themselves? Well, I think to protect themselves from getting severe illness, I think vaccination is still the most important thing to do to protect yourself. I I think, and I've talked to a lot of my colleagues, and we all have a very similar impression of this, that you know, with how contagious the Omicron variant is, and how widely we're seeing it spread, even in communities where there's very high level of vaccination and very high level of, of compliance with mask mandates and people following all of those instructions, we're still seeing astronomical numbers of cases in those areas. So I'm not sure that there's anything that people can do to keep themselves from acquiring Omicron and potentially passing it on. Um, I think it's likely that over the next one to two months, everyone's going to get exposed to it in one way or another. Um, the folks that are unvaccinated have a higher risk of getting really sick from that. Um, and that's a, a, a choice that, you know, is up to them if they want to get the vaccine and be protected or not. Um, but it's, I don't, I'm not sure there's anything I can advise people to do that would guarantee them from not getting COVID other than, isolating themselves and not interacting with any other people in any way. But it's hard to live that way. So um, I'm not sure I can uh, give anybody a guarantee of staying completely COVID-free over the next few months. Well, I think if there's anything we've learned in all of this, is it's, it's ever-changing and, and there, are no, there are no guarantees. May, one final question for you, back to the, these variants. What are the chances of another variant coming? Is it just inevitable? And is there a way to predict them? I don't think there's a way to predict them. I, I do think it's inevitable that there will be more variants. If you if you look at pandemics in general, um, a lot of pandemics do eventually become what we call, 
endemic, meaning it's essentially here to stay. And, and I think we're seeing that become the case with COVID. Typically, as a pathogen gets established uh, and, and goes from being a pandemic to being endemic, uh, it becomes more transmissible and less severe. And, and Omicron really is a step in that direction. Uh, could there be new variants that actually move back toward being similar to Delta in terms of severity and risk of severe illness? I think that's possible. Uh, but if we look at the history of pandemics, typically that's not the case. Usually uh, these pathogens become uh, easier to transmit and less deadly. Uh, and then they just continue to circulate in the population, which over time starts to build up immunity um, as long as, you know, we continue to have fairly relative uh, or fa- or fairly frequent exposure to the pathogen. That's how flu works. That's how uh, a lot of the common cold viruses, many of which are other types of coronavirus, uh, metanumovirus. There's a, a, I can list so many examples of viral infections that we see uh, circulate seasonally uh, that don't become as severe as COVID because people have some degree of pre-existing immunity And that seems to be what's happening with COVID. It's moving toward being endemic. Well, Dr. Brian York, as always, we thank you for your expertise and putting it in a way that we can all understand. Dr. Brian York, infectious disease specialist at Catholic. Back with the second half of Catholic on Call right after this. Listening to Cadillac on Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Once again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Catholic on Call, presented by the Catholic Foundation. A reminder that if you missed any part of our program, Catholic on Call is available on podcast. Just search Catholic on Call on whatever platform you listen to your favorite podcasts. Now, we've covered the COVID impacts uh, impacting at Catholic and what makes the Omicron variant so contagious. We now want to get an update on our local public health perspective with Heather Hill, the Communicable Disease Program Manager with the Benton Franklin Health District. Wow, Heather, where do we begin? In fact, I just was uh, in the break looking at my phone and saw that the state just announced that it surpassed one million total cases since this pandemic began. I'm sure that's not a surprise to you. Uh, But what's the major area of concern right now with the state of COVID in our region? Thanks, Jim. I think it's really important for us to, again, look at our data, where we've been and where we are today. What has happened in the last couple of weeks was certainly predictable. We've come off a very, very um, busy time of year where friends and family meet and gather, and we anticipated that we would see, you know, certainly see a spike in our, our cases. But honestly, the extremely high and sudden when I look at our our graph and I see how the line literally goes straight up, that tells us a whole lot of people got exposed during a very close period of time, which again, we look back at that Christmas, New Year holiday, and we're now seeing uh, the results of that. Um, In Benton County, we went up 197% from the previous week. And in Franklin County, we went up 262% from the previous week. Again, we anticipated it was going to go up. We can't predict how big it's going to go up, and it certainly and it certainly did rise quite quickly and quite high. 
And so what is the impact on the community when we look at that? You know, Dr. York certainly mentioned the um, Omicron being less severe, and that is exactly what we're seeing across the community is the illness seems to be less severe than, say, the Delta. But the flip side of that is it does seem to be significantly more transmissible. So we know it's spreading fast and furious. The data shows it. Our testing sites, again, we're seeing really high case rates at our CBC West and then the Richland test site. CBC West positivity rate is now up to um, 25, almost uh, 26% positivity rate with the Richland test site, almost 17% positivity rate. And so what we're seeing happening is um, people are coming to these sites for testing because they're sick. And that's the one thing that we do look at is what brings you into the testing site. And the vast majority of these people are showing up because they're afraid of a recent exposure that they had or they are becoming symptomatic and they want to be tested. And that, again, is a little bit different than even two, three weeks ago as far as what was bringing people in to get tested. We've seen reports, and, and I personally have seen the lines at particularly the CBC West test site being quite long. And that has resulted, unfortunately, in a, a real backlog over at the University of Washington lab. University of Washington lab is supporting many of these mass testing sites across Washington state. And between um, the sudden increase and then the weather and some difficulties and the batches getting over to the west side for testing, at three of the test sites across Washington state, they are asking to suspend uh, service this coming Sunday. And how that affects our community only affects the Richland test site. So for this Sunday only, the Richland test site will be closed. The CBC West test site will continue open. And that's to give those lab workers over at University of Washington time to actually get caught up with this tremendous backlog of testing. You know, we used to be able to see a turnaround time you know, within 24 hours, and now it's, it's, it's unfortunately much longer than 24 hours to get your test result back because of the large number of, of samples they have to get through. With that being said, I know it raises a couple of uh, points to, to follow up on. One is, I know prior to the holidays, there was this available to these at-home kits, uh, the antigen tests. Uh, and then you add that, I mean, should people still get those if they need to uh, utilize those? And then secondarily, a lot of the issues, uh, in addition to people that might be experiencing symptoms, is if they're in a healthcare workforce setting or even in any other employment setting and they, and they test positive for COVID, um, they need to get a clear co- uh, positive or a negative test before they can return to work. So is that just compounding this testing issue? Well, I think there is a lot of confusion about the testing, and it's very important to understand that the rapid antigen testing is really looking for that that organism presence in typically your nose where we we collect the sample and you become contagious a little ways into your symptomatic stage and that's why it is so important if you're symptomatic you absolutely have to wear your mask 
to protect other people, even if your symptoms are very, very mild. If you did an antigen test at that point, you could still test negative. And then once that level of virus inside your nose reaches a, a certain point, then that antigen test will pick it up and give you the positive. And so we're telling people, um, you know, use those antigen tests. They are very informative, but also understand that there are some um, peculiarities to it. The flip side to that is that PCR test, um, it will tell you that there is presence of viral particles. Those viral particles could be dead, they could be alive. So they will not tell you if you're contagious. So there's just a lot of nuances to understanding exactly what these tests are saying and what you should do with your test result and how you should conduct your life. But bottom line is, got to keep those masks on. And, and the and the issue I know too is when people want to return to work, it probably varies based on who you work for. But there are certainly protocols that require that te- that negative testing to allow for a return to work, don't they? And we don't encourage employers to require that negative PCR test to come back to work simply because you can test positive for 60 days with a PCR test. Mm -hmm. And that is just looking for any evidence of virus, not dead and possibly it's dead virus. The antigen test certainly, if you can get a negative antigen test, say day five after your exposure, then we would say you're pretty pretty unlikely to end up with the virus and spreading it to others. But the caveat to that is you absolutely must wear a good, tight-fitting mask. And that type of mask, I understand now there's uh, even uh, the CDC or you know, some of these, these, these federal public health uh, directives uh, to try and, if you have access to N95s or these KN95 masks, wear those. The N95s and the the KN95s are certainly the absolutely best mask that you can wear. They are a bit more uncomfortable. um, They're a little bit more challenging to wear, and you really need to have a very tight fit. Kind of the rule of thumb is if you're not uncomfortable in your N95 mask, it's probably not working very well. So what we really want people to do is if you're going to use those surgical masks, the procedure masks, do make sure that it is as tight sitting across your face as you can. You've, you've molded it around your nose. You've made it tuck against your cheeks as much as you can to decrease that airflow coming out of you and then potentially spreading into the room. With this spread, and I know the one real area of concern in the healthcare world, and Riza and Dr. York both touched on the status of that, what about the schools? Obviously, um, I know there's been increased uh, it's, it, impact uh, through this Omicron as well. What is the guidance for families if they have someone in their family either come down with COVID or be exposed? Well, when it, it, when it comes to the schools, um, there's a variety of ways the schools are dealing with it across Washington State. And, and essentially, if you've been vaccinated and you're exposed, you can come back to school, but you, you know, obviously you still must wear a mask. Now, if you end up testing positive, then you do have to stay home for you know, a certain period of time to get through that contagious state, and then you can head back to, back to school. So again, you have to look closely at you know, your school district, your, your workplace, 
because, uh, you know, I'll agree, it's become a lot more complicated over the last few weeks with the, the changing um, thoughts on from CDC on how quarantine and isolation should happen. But I would encourage people to go to our website, go to the CDC website, look at what it says, and, and talk to your schools, talk to the schools. And if they're telling you and giving you directives, ask them perhaps why their logic is that way. We do work with the schools very closely. We, we are in weekly contact with them still throughout this whole pandemic and helping give them guidance on how to keep kids safest in the classroom. And, you know, I'll, I'll continue to say it, we're not seeing transmission in the classroom. It is still really happening in the extracurricular activities, particularly within the um, athletic world. And we know some of the schools are doing the testing of the athletes, you know, two to three times a week. And if your student athlete tests positive, then, then yes, your student athlete needs to, to stay home. Visiting with Heather Hill of the Benton Franklin Health District, we have one more segment of her time to share more information that just seems to be evolving as we uh, go through our program each night. Back with more of Cadillac on Call right after this. You're listening to Cadillac on Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to our remaining minutes of Catholic on Call. We're visiting with Heather Hill at the Benton Franklin Health District. And Heather is doing some preparatory reading for the program today. And, and it was uh, kind of caught my eye was a comment made yesterday by the head of the Food and Drug Administration in testimony before Congress. when you kind of already alluded to it a little bit with the transmissibility of this Omicron variant. But she said that a highly transmissible strain will infect most people and that the focus should turn to ensuring critical services continue to go uninterrupted. And she said, I think it's hard to process what's actually happening right now, which is most people are going to get COVID, all right? Quote, unquote. Now, what we need to do is make sure the hospitals can still function, schools, transportation, and other essential services are not disrupted while this happens. And I think, you know, in visiting with you throughout this, you know, it's always important to keep the context, but it it does kind of raise your... uh, I guess, intention, intensity level when you hear comments like that? Well, I think a comment like that at, at, at first listening to it is like, oh, my, that, that sounds horrific. Right. You know, there's nothing we can do now. We're all going to catch COVID. And what, there, what this really means is when you have a virus, whether it's COVID or influenza, again, looking back to influenza pandemics of the past, This organism rolls through our community and and across the world very, very quickly. A large number of people catch it because we are so susceptible. And as this organism circulates through our community, the United States and the world, and more and more people get exposed to it, more and more people catch it, they do get an immune response. And that immune response can carry over such as with influenza. If, if you catch influenza, your body has a little bit of memory. So you're, if you're exposed again, you may still catch it. And you may still get sick, but you may not get as sick. And we kind of expect the same thing to happen with COVID, that, yes, with the extreme transmissibility, 
again, like Dr. York said, unless you totally isolate yourself 100%, the vast majority of us are very likely to catch COVID. And that is why immunization is so important, is knowing that at some point, our unimmunized people are going to catch COVID and they don't have any immune system memory. They don't, their immune system is not primed to help respond and fight this off. And so those are the ones that are more likely to end up in acute care facilities. Granted, Omicron doesn't seem to be quite as severe, but I don't, I think it's important not to listen to that statement and go, then I'm going to be okay. I just won't get vaccinated because that's absolutely a scary thing to think because you don't know if you are the person that is going to react very badly to Omicron. And so we do need to protect our acute care facilities and we need to protect our staff. Like, like both Risa and Dr. York said, um, it's, it's affecting our staff in, in the fact that they're getting sick, our teachers are getting sick, our workforce is getting sick. So maybe our acute care facilities aren't as full as they were treating critically ill COVID patients, but what's disrupting our world right now and our community right now is the, the sheer effect it has on our workforce and people not able to come to work. We've seen um, a number of businesses have to shut down in our community simply because they did not have the healthy workforce to conduct business that day. And that's the reality of what happens when you get a virus like this. So again, it goes back to doing everything you can to lessen the effect of COVID should you catch it. And that is absolutely to get vaccinated. And I guess with one minute left to go, uh, it sounds like the trending indicates that these rates are going to probably continue to go up for a few more weeks before they start coming down, right? So all the more reason to, 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 to continue to be vigilant. That's right. We've um, had the advantage of watching what's happened on the East Coast and then certainly on um, the other side of the state here. And we lagged the West side a little bit and we're seeing the stress on the medical system over there. And we know that we still have a little ways to go before we, we see our probable peak. And again, can we predict exactly when that's going to happen? Not really but we would expect over the next few weeks that we would hope to hit that peak and then it would start to decrease. So um, it's really an important time to be vigilant, um, wearing your masks, wearing that good fitting um, mask that covers your face and your nose, wearing them correctly and getting vaccinated. Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. Again, there's a a tremendous amount of information available on the Health District's website at bfhd.wa.gov. As Heather mentioned, uh, the strain, and it's it's incredibly about a burden putting on these testing sites, both at the CBC site in Pasco and the downtown Richland site. Uh, Do just go to the... uh, get the latest information, go to the health district. They have all the latest information on where those test sites and when and when they'll be open. And we should also point out also locations around the community, pharmacies and other places where people can get tested as well. Thanks to Heather. Thanks to Dr. York. Thanks to Risa Khalil. And thank you for listening to Cadillac on Call. Be safe. We'll talk again next week.